Lord Jesus, we love you, Lord. Thank you we could be here. Oh, Lord, thank you we could be here. Enjoying your full salvation. Thank you you're the solution to all of our problems. Praise you, Lord. Praise you for taking care of every need. Oh, Lord, open our eyes in this time. Show us your full salvation. Show us us your complete salvation. Amen. Okay. I am so glad to be here. I'm glad to be here enjoying Christ. What are we centered on here this morning? Christ. You get Christ, you got it all. You got the point of this conference. Amen. And the point of this message. Okay, um, how many were here uh, that are here right now were not here last night or missed part of the meeting last night? Okay, raise up your hand real good. Okay, good number. Yeah, we had a lot of people that, you know, coming in from far distances and everything. So um, I'll do just a brief review. Last night's message was so good. Um, let's all read the title of the conference together. It's on the front of your um, notebook. And by the way, if you haven't put your name on your notebook or your uh, outline, please do that. So if you lose it, it can find its way back to you. <laughs> I think they have a limited number, so uh, let's try to uh, keep our name on it. Okay, let's read the title together. Christ and the church in 1 Corinthians. Okay, so when you go back and somebody asks you, what did you do this weekend? You can tell them you went to a conference that was about? Very good. Okay, and the brothers had a burden. Um, you know, if you have a pen, you know, and, and we're going along, and there's something in the message that uh, strikes you, uh, put in a little note there, uh, maybe mark it, and then at the end of the message, we're going to have a little time to pray with your neighbor, and we hope that you would pray over the things that touched you in the meeting, because it's very possible, and we're even hoping and praying that the Lord would speak to each one of us in this message. So if he speaks to us in the message, make a note of it. And then when we get to the end of the message, we can pray over it. And then hopefully then you can come to the microphone and? Yes, speak it. Prophesy. Okay, so um, just to give a little review, let's look at message one on page 17. Okay, let's read the title together. Introduction. Are you all there? Page 17. (laughs) Introduction. The background. The condition of the Corinthian believers. Okay, so last night, for those of you that weren't here, we saw the black ground, <laughs> the background, which was pretty dim, uh, of the Corinthian believers. <clears throat> Were the Corinthian believers in good shape? Okay, well, I want to say praise the Lord for the Corinthian believers. Because, you know, if you look at the um, first four books of the New Testament, what do you see? You see Christ. You see the God-man. You see God manifested in the flesh. Oh, the light is bright. Aren't the first four books of the New Testament wonderful? (laughs) Yes. Okay, then you come to Acts. And Acts is the propagation of this wonderful one through his disciples, right? For the producing of all the churches, the kingdom of God. And it's just one story after another of a miracle and something glorious happening here and there. There are a few problems, but mainly it's just wonderful. Then you come to the next book, the first epistle, and that book shows us God's complete salvation. I mean, from a sinner, condemned sinner, all the way to a son of God, to be part of the body of Christ, which is expressed in the local churches. It is a beautiful portrait of God's full salvation. Okay, then I wake up in the morning and look at myself. 
or I look at you. <laughs> I look at the brothers in my locality and I'm like, what is going on? This does not match what I'm reading here in the New Testament. But praise the Lord for the seventh book, 1 Corinthians, because there we have our representatives, the Corinthians, and we realized last night we are Corinthians. Don't be discouraged. God has got, he's used to dealing with Corinthians. And he has a solution for all the Corinthians. And his solution is? Christ. Yes. Christ and his cross are the solution to all problems in the church life. Okay, so let's just, I'm just going to run down here on page 17 all the different things that kind of, I mean, they had 11 major problems in Corinth. But these, there's the underlying problem. And the underlying problem is they were a bunch of babies, right? Uh, they were divisive, striving, fleshy, boastful, judgmental. Then it sounded like they were full of love, joy. No. Um, they're puffed up, immoral, defeated, uncaring, factious, and inconsiderate. Okay, you may be thinking of uh, your roommate or somebody else as I'm reading that. <laughs> but if the Lord's light would shine, you know where it would shine on? I think it's in James or something where it talks about the word being a mirror. And it's like you read in 1 Corinthians and it's just like you're looking at yourself. I'm divisive. I'm striving with others. I'm fleshy, boastful, judgmental. I'm puffed up, immoral, defeated, uncaring, factious, and inconsiderate. Well, praise the Lord. The Lord doesn't just kick us out or do away with us, but actually our problems give him the opportunity. Our problems are the opportunity for him to minister Christ. Amen. So be glad you have problems. Any of y'all have problems? Praise the Lord. So this whole conference is basically uh, what the apostle did. Instead of, you know, trying to give them self-help or, you know, just adjust them in some kind of superficial way, he went to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is you guys are not experiencing Christ. You need to experience Christ. And he lays out 20 items of Christ in this epistle. And some of our freshmen are going to take, um, take the initiative to memorize that. We have uh, Caris and Dat so far. Um, and I hope some others would do it. And let's look at point A there, because um, the first point is Christ is our portion. And let's just read all those points there, those 20. We'll just go down the list real quick. Okay, you ready? Power, wisdom, righteousness. Second man, the last Adam, <clears throat> our portion, hallelujah. And um, we saw that uh, this wonderful one in, in chapter one, he is our portion, and that portion is like the good land. And how does, how does he get applied to us? Does anybody remember the first point? How does he get applied to us? I mean, how, here I am in Corinth, here I am in San Antonio. How am I going to get this one that I need so desperately? Well, first thing is I got to get regenerated, right? And um, so that's, that's how Christ gets into us. And we saw, we went through the wiring diagram last night. We saw how God, in his way of solving our problems and rendering, applying this solution to us, he went through a process of firstly incarnation, human living, 
Crucifixion to deal with all the negative problems. Actually, there's all your problems right there. Just think of all your problems, put them into one big subset or set, and just put them all right there this morning on the cross. On the cross, all your problems got terminated. Actually, you got terminated too. That's the big, that's the big solution. Let's just terminate everybody. <laughs> Man's way is to negotiate. God's way is to terminate. Is that good news that you've been terminated? I went to a conference this weekend. They told me I was terminated. I remember seeing that and getting excited and telling my mother one time, Mom, I'm crucified with Christ. She got very concerned. She wasn't a believer, unfortunately, and uh, she didn't know what I was talking about. But anyway, we were crucified. The devil was crucified. The sins and everything was terminated there. But someone came up. Hallelujah. You know who came up? Christ. He was raised from the dead and we were in him. And he became the life-giving spirit to what? Get into us in that little, I know it's hard to see for the people in back, but those are three circles and he gets into the innermost circle. That's our regeneration. And then he begins to apply himself as the anointing to all the parts of our being. All the anxiety, what happens? He just massages himself in as the anointing. This wonderful salve that just dissolves anxiety. He's the counter, he's the antidote to anxiety, is this wonderful one. Okay, and then eventually, let's see, uh, let's go to page 19. And we saw in verse 30, there's four items in one verse. Okay? Christ is God's wisdom to us. So let's read, uh, let's read those uh, four points together. Ready? Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And of course, um, if you go to the next page, because I've got to kind of go along here, but we saw that um, here we see the triune God in this chart. And then he comes in. And basically, well, right here, he took away all of our sins, and through his righteousness, he could regenerate our spirit. Then he begins this long, lifelong process of sanctifying our soul, which is to, remember S equals S plus S? What is sanctification? It equals plus separation plus saturation. So he begins to saturate our soul with himself, and this is what's going on presently. So if you just follow the diagram, it's, the, it's all of God, for all that we need, which is our, we need righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, for all the parts of our being, righteousness being related to our spirit, sanctification to our soul, and redemption to our body, and that is related to our past, present, and future. So what do you need? What do you need for your past? Yep. Y'all, any of y'all, when the brother was sharing last night about the big sin in the past, that deep, dark sin that just haunts you, anybody got one of those? <laughs> I, yes, I do. <laughs> and uh, praise the Lord, he's my righteousness. Amen. Man, if I didn't have him as my righteousness, I wouldn't be speaking to you right now. I couldn't be at this conference right now. Praise the Lord, he's my righteousness for my past. Amen. All the past. Does that include yesterday? Yes. Includes yesterday. Yes. Thank you, Lord, you're our righteousness. Amen. And then what? He's our sanctification for when? Right now. Right now. Are you getting sanctified? Yes. Hope you're getting sanctified right now. Oh, Lord, sanctify us. Amen. And one day, our body will be redeemed and glorified. We will be conformed to the image of his glory. What does that mean? I'm not 100% sure, but it's going to be wonderful. 
I mean, we have little windows to see. I mean, it's immortal. No more death. No more uh, weakness. It's going to be shining. We're not going to need, need, we're not gonna need the sun or the moon anymore or the, any of the light because we're going to be shining. Okay, can I put that body on an untransformed man? Can God put that body on an un... Can he put that body on a Corinthian? No. A Corinthian cannot bear that body. What a mess that would be. An immature, you know, baby Corinthian running around in a glorified body. You know what those Corinthians need? They need transformation. They need sanctification. And one day, they will be not the same anymore. They will be qualified to be glorified. Saints, one day we will be qualified to be glorified. That is our hope of glory. We're on our way to that day. Our sanctification is unto that day. So we can look forward to that. All right. And really, to be honest with you, that does solve your problem about the future. What am I going to do? Where am I going? What, you know, what's my end going to be? Especially, I just got through with the 40s. I'm in my 50s now. 40s were tough. You got all those, I think, I think, I don't can't remember my wife. She was trying to keep count of my midlife crises. I had four or five. You know, what is going on? I don't, you know, I haven't done anything. And what, what's going to, anyway, thanks. I just need to look away. I know where I'm going. I'm going to glory. Forget about that. Okay. Praise the Lord. He's our, he's our, he's our solution for the future. Okay. Anyway, let's move on to message two now. I hope y'all are convinced that Christ and his cross are the solution to all of our problems. Okay, now this um, wonderful, you know, all the things of the New Testament are somewhat mysterious. There's only two things that we do that are visible. One is we take the Lord's table, which is the bread and the cup every week. That's a physical sign. The other physical sign is what? Who knows it? Baptism. We baptize people physically in physical water. There's also a spiritual reality to baptism. But those are really the only two physical things of the Christian life. Okay, what else is there? We're talking about, we love the church life, eating, drinking, breathing Jesus. Is that physical? Is that material? How do you do that? <laughs> you know, what, what is going on here? The Lord wants to be life to you. He wants to feed you. Uh, how, how, it's very mysterious, somewhat ethereal. Well, praise the Lord that he has given us a wonderful picture, portrait in the Old Testament so we could understand what in the world's going on. I can understand, I get some pictures. What does it mean Christ is my redeemer? What does that mean? What is that, you know, what are the details of that? It's in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is like a, is like the picture book or the, almost like a photo album. And then the New Testament is the express speaking express words. Christ, he, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, of our sins. Okay, that's what it says in Ephesians 1. Uh, where do I see that? A picture of that. Got to go back to Exodus, right? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Where, I mean, what, what does that mean? I need to go back to Exodus, <laughs> right? Okay, so in, in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, and this is uh, in Corinthians actually several times, chapter 5 and chapter 10, Paul alludes, or actually directly points back to the children of Israel to help the Corinthians understand what's going on and what they should be doing. 
He points back to Exodus, to the children. The, in Exodus, we see the history of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And um, let's read uh, 10.6 here. I'm, actually, I'm going to read you um, the whole, starting with 10.1. And we'll get to 10.6. So y'all can, if you have a Bible, you can look on 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. Okay. So he's been, you know, ministering Christ to these Corinthians. And then he tells us, and I'm going to read from 10, 1 through 6, okay? And then I'm going to also read verse 11. For I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, that all our fathers, referring to the children of Israel, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. That's referring to the Red Sea. And all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. Amen. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were strewn along in the wilderness. Now listen to this. Now these these things occurred as examples to us. Okay, these things, what things? All the things that happened to them occurred as examples to us. Now, I want to read verse 11 to you. Okay. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our admonition unto whom the ends of the ages have come. Okay, let me read that again. These things happened to them. Who? Who's them? The children of Israel. We're talking thousands of years ago. (laughs) It's happened to them as an example. Can you believe that? You have to open, I mean, the Lord has to open our eyes to see how much trouble he went through to give us an example, to give us a picture book so we could know what's going on. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us these pictures. An example, and were written for our admonition. Okay, he went to all that trouble. Do you think we should pay any attention to this? You think we should listen to what he has to say? Unto whom the ends of the ages have come. Their entire history was for you and for me, for us, so we could make it. We could reach God's goal. Okay, uh, I just wanted to read those verses. And the first one is up there at the top. Let's just all read it together, 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Now, these things occurred as examples to us that we should not be ones who lust after evil things, even as they also lust. Okay. Now, in this type of the children of Israel, there is a lot of Christ. Christ is portrayed here. Christ is portrayed there. But we're going to hit five major points today. And let's just read the major points of this outline. You ready? Christ, our Passover. Christ, our spirit. Christ, our spiritual food. Our spiritual drink. And Christ as our spiritual rock. Praise the Lord for Christ. Corinthians need Christ. We need Christ. Okay, so what the main thing is, uh, Meryl, can we get that thing up there now? So what the main thing, their their journey shows us and their entire experience, we're going to have a picture here in a minute. And I do apologize for this picture. Um, This this was from my whiteboard at work. I just took a picture of it, but I had no idea it was going to be up at the conference. I would have done a much better job. Um, but this is supposed to, and I'm sure it's not accurate in the geography um, totally. But basically, um, 
Does anybody have a, uh, one of those pointers, laser pointer, by chance? We didn't have one. Okay, I'll just try to explain it. Okay, so you have the Mediterranean Sea in the upper left there, and Israel would be over to the right. Down below, directly to the south, is Egypt. Uh, you have the Nile River there. And then you have, just to the right of that, mainly we're looking at the blue right now. Oh, who's got that? Where is that? Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, got one here? Got one here, too. Which one? Oh, here Uh Uh-oh, this one not. Okay, I'll go with this one. I'm not sure how that one works. Okay. Use this one. Thank you very much. So um, here, over here, uh, well, there's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's Egypt. Here's the good land. And there's the wilderness. Now, what happened was, Abraham, he started out way over here off the map in Ur of Chaldea. Can't see it? Does it work? Oh. Oh, there. That's, yeah, much better. Yeah. Okay, the first button. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Okay, so Abraham, he started out over here off the map when God first called him. God brought him and then his descendants, Isaac, Jacob, eventually his 12 sons were in the good land. Eventually, because of famine, they went down to Egypt to get grain. You all all should know the story from Genesis, I hope. They multiplied here for about 400 years. And at first, uh, Pharaoh was favorable to them, but as time went on, Eventually, they became envious of the children of Israel, worried they were going to take over, etc. And so Pharaoh, after Joseph had died and time had gone on, eventually they enslaved them. So by the time we get to Exodus, we see a situation where God's two million people, two million, are all here in Egypt. Are they having a good time? Are they in the land of milk and honey? There are under Pharaoh, that's the green there. They're in slavery, that's in green there. Hard labor. And that's supposed to be a shackle right there. <laughs> okay, and what were they doing? Were they taking care of their own houses and you know, building up their 401ks and everything else? <laughs> no, they were building up Pharaoh's treasure cities. Ramses, Giza, I don't know all the, you know, where the pyramids are. The brother was sharing about the pyramids last night. You know who built some of those pyramids? The children of Israel. And they cried out to God. Oh, God, we are just under such hard slavery. It's just horrible here. Please help us. Save us. Save us, O oh Lord. And uh, what did the Lord do? He sends Moses. Moses comes and tells Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me. Let my people go. God wanted to get his people out of Egypt. Okay. Was this just because God was feeling sorry for those people? Oh, I heard the cry. They're really suffering there. I'm going to, you know, do them a favor, get them out of Egypt. Well, surely he is compassionate and merciful. But we, what we have to see today is that God has a purpose. God has an, an intention. God wanted to do something with those people. Okay, and, and we see that destiny up here in the good land. And he had promised this already to Abraham. He had promised it to Isaac, promised it to Jacob. And he's going to bring their descendants up here into the good land. And eventually, we saw last night, this land typifies Christ, and this land is good. One thing of grapes had to be held, one cluster of grapes had to be held on a, on a pole between two brothers. Okay, so anyway, so God's intention is to get his people up here and even to, to build up the temple for his corporate expression or for his glory. 
Okay, and ultimately we do arrive there in the New Test. I mean, the Old Testament. They do reach the goal. Praise the Lord. They reach the goal. But they start here. So this is where we start today in our journey. And so what I want you to be impressed with is we are on a journey. You are on a journey. How about we say it together? I am on a journey. I am on a journey. Now let's make it corporate. We are on a journey. We are on a journey. One thing I don't want to forget today that I really feel like is um, important to see is that this is corporate. You know, if you just look at Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, they portray the experience of a believer all the way through. You could kind of get the idea maybe it's individual. God is dealing with me. He's transforming me. He's breaking me, this and that. But when we come to Exodus, it's no more individual. When we come to Exodus, it is corporate. Do you realize you are part of the people of God? Let's say that together. I am part of the people of God. I am part of the people of God. How about I am one of the people of God? I am one of the people of God. Okay, as the, one of the people of God in the picture, where did you start out? Right here. And Egypt, in, in the type, this is a type or an example, a picture, a portrait. What does this signify, Egypt? Egypt signifies the world. Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt, signifies, guess who? Yes, he signifies Satan, who is the king of the world. You know, the Lord said, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. He called Satan the ruler of this world. So, um, oh, I lost my pointer. Tim, what happened? Oh, there it goes. Okay. Sorry. Technical difficulty. Okay, so, um, so here they were, and they're building up the treasure cities, and they're in slavery, and that is exactly where we are. We're born into the world. We grow up there, and eventually we find ourselves in slavery. <laughs> we find ourselves, what? Without God, without hope, in the world. Okay. And that's just where we start out, all of us. And... Um, but God wants to get you out of there. He wants you out of Egypt. Why? Because he has a purpose. It'll also be good for you too. <laughs> so, um, so what he did is he, he sent Pharaoh, I mean, uh, Moses to Pharaoh with all these demands. Let my people go. Let my people go. Every time. Okay, okay. God would send a plague. Pharaoh would say, okay. And God would take the plague away. And Pharaoh would change his mind. This happened 10 times. It's very redundant if you read the book of Exodus. Okay, we send the plague of the, of the what? Frogs. Send the plague of the lice. Send the plague of the um, pestilence. Send the plague of uh, darkness. Send the plague of the turning the water to blood. I mean, there were so many plagues. I don't even think I could enumerate all of them. But the last one, after Pharaoh had basically changed his mind nine times in a row, what is the tenth plague? Death. Death to the firstborn. This entire thing shows that Egypt, typifying the world, is under God's judgment, okay? And Pharaoh, signifying Satan, does not want to let you out of there, does not want to let God's people go. So, so anyway, eventually there's this last one, and okay, so tonight's the night, the last plague, what's going to happen? God is going to send a destroyer to kill all the firstborn of men and beasts, and who is going to um, be able to withstand that? Who's qualified to not be judged, to not die? Okay, so let me have four brothers here. 
Maybe uh, these three brothers and uh, you want to come up too, brother? Y'all four? Okay. We're going to try to get two houses here. Okay, so the, okay, so the, yeah, let's get, um, we need four, yeah. Okay, two of y'all over here and two of you right here, yeah. Stand about three feet apart, like about right here, right here. Y'all stand about there. So y'all are a house. Can you put your arms like together like this? Just, yeah, right there in the middle there. That's your, this is the roof. Yeah, that's the roof. Okay, yeah, make a house. I gotta be able to go through. Okay, good. <laughs> Got two houses here. Okay, so what God told his people through Moses was, you need to take a lamb that is without spot and without blemish and slay it and take its blood and put it on the doorpost. So here I got some blood here. All right. So here's your doorpost there. And then, uh, well, this one, I'm going to use these people over here because you've already got red on. So yeah, got blood here. Oh, blood fell off there. Thank you. Blood here. Okay. Now, I'm one of the children of God, and I have listened and said amen and killed my lamb for my house, and I'm going to go inside this house right now for tonight with all my family and everything. Okay, so here comes the death angel, all right? Maybe we need another person over here and under a... Let's, uh, how about you, brother? Come over here. You're going to be an Egyptian. <laughs> so I'm one of the children of Israel, and he's an Egyptian, Sorry. And he doesn't believe, you know, Moses' word. What is it? This is ridiculous. So you're just going to go to your house as normal. So go ahead and go into your house. And I'm going to go to my house, which now has, I believed. And I put blood on my doorpost, so I get to go into my house. The death angel comes over. Guess what's going to happen? Guess what did happen? Who died? Yeah, his family suffered the loss of the firstborn. Guess nothing happened in my house. Praise the Lord. I got saved. I got saved from judgment. God's judgment on Egypt or God's judgment on the world, I got saved. You see that? How did I get saved? What saved me? Wait, was it because I'm, I'm better? Am I better than that Egyptian? I, the only thing that is a difference between me and him is I have blood on my house. You see that? This is a picture of every believer has basically said, amen. I believe. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. And when you said that, you put the blood on the doorpost. And, you know, they put it on with hyssop, which is a very small herb, you know, a very small herb. And that signifies our faith. You don't even need much faith, just a little bit. And you put the blood on there. And the Lord said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Okay, where is Christ in this picture? Who's Christ? We saw who Pharaoh is. We see who we are. We're the children of Israel. Pharaoh represents Satan. Where's, where's Christ? Yes, Christ is the lamb. But I want to point out, Christ is he, actually in this verse. Let's read verse uh, 5, 7b there. You better stand there for just a second more, sorry. You ready? Under Christ, our Passover. Let's read the first verse all together. For our Passover Christ. So he's the whole Passover, not just the lamb. He is the lamb. And that's a big one. But he's actually also, guess what? He's the house. <laughs> Do you realize he's the house? When you get into the house, you're getting into Christ. I'm in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And by this, and then not only so, 
Okay, what was I doing in the house? Maybe the Egyptian is uh, watching his, uh, I don't know what they watched back then, or listening to something or whatever. And what am I doing over here? Feasting, eating the lamb, eating the very one who died for me. We just, he just died. The lamb just died. We took his blood and put it on the doorpost. Can I see the blood? Guess who sees the blood? Yes, God. He said, when I see the blood, listen, we don't need to see the blood. We believe in the blood, but God sees the blood. But guess what we get to do with the flesh of the lamb? Get to eat it. So we're inside feasting, eating, enjoying Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord for this picture. Thank you, brothers. And take your blood there. All right. Sorry, Egyptian. So um, I hope you see something from this picture. Again, this is God's picture book to us. Um, and let's just buzz through these verses here real quick. We'll have the sisters on Exodus 12, 3 and 5. Read two verses. And then we'll do the brothers on 12, 7 through 8. And then sisters on 12, 11, And brothers on 12, 13 to 14. You ready, sisters? Go. Speak. Okay. And then uh, brothers? Sisters. Amen. Brothers. And when I see the blood. Keep it as a feast to Jehovah. Amen. You know, if you feast to Jehovah, that means we eat and he enjoys. We eat in his presence and he enjoys. Okay, we're going to spend some time in this, uh, the next message. You guys are going to get really delve into this. And there are so many riches in this picture, so many details. The bones weren't broken. They had to eat all the, the head, the, the inward parts and the legs. Y'all might go, ooh, but there's, there's a significance to that. And they had to eat it fast. In haste, they had to eat it with their sandals on, their loins girded, their staff in their hand, ready to go. Where are they going to go? You know, a lot of believers think, oh, Christ died for me. I'm, I'm, uh, the angels passed over me. God's judgment has passed over me. I'm good. Isn't that good? Now I can set up shop in Egypt. <laughs> set up my business. You know, now actually half the people are gone. I got less, you know, competition. <laughs> no. God's intention in redeeming you, he has, remember, God has a purpose, and he wants to get you out of Egypt. I just want to point out, this building of God, God's building for his glory, guess where it's not built? It's not built in Egypt. It cannot be built in Egypt. So in a sense, no matter what you do in Egypt, even supposedly, quote, unto the glory of God, guess who is the ruler? Guess who ultimately gets the glory? 
Ooh, that's tough, but it's true. You're in the wrong kingdom. You need to get out of there. And you need, so remember, that's why they had to get the staff, gird up their loins, and put on sandals on their feet. Because I'm getting you out of here. Get ready to go. We are running out of this place. Okay, so there's a lot, and you guys are going to get into that later today. I hope you really enjoy it. Let's move on here to the next point. Christ is our unleavened bread. Okay, and let's read, let's have the sisters read. Well, actually, before we do that, I just want to point out that in the, in the picture, Exodus, as soon as they ate the Passover, they also began to eat unleavened bread with bitter herbs. And then they would eat that for seven days, especially later on um, when they would do the feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, to commemorate this. They would have seven-day feast with unleavened bread. Now, unleavened bread, leaven signifies sin. And so as soon as we, this picture shows us, as soon as we are redeemed by the blood of Christ and we take Christ in, we get regenerated. Now he lives in me. What kind of life should I live? I should live an unleavened life. Seven days, seven is is the number for completion, signifies the complete course of our Christian life. We're not going back to sin, brothers and sisters. We're leaving, and and we need to purge out the sin in our living, okay? Well, let's read these verses now. Um, Sisters, uh, ready? 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8, go. Keep the feast. Yeah, so here, uh, Paul, this, now we're back in 1 Corinthians, New Testament, dealing with these Corinthians. Do they have any leaven? Yes. And it's interesting, the Lord said, you know, in, um, I believe it's chapter 13, but he said that you, no, no leaven should be seen among you. No leaven should be seen in your house. Does that mean that we don't have any leaven? No, we still have leaven. We still have sin. I'm a sinner. I seem to be a leaven factory. But, but whatever sin I am aware of, I need to purge it out. And you know the best way to purge it out is by keeping the feast, is by eating the unleavened one. Christ is the unleavened bread, okay? Let us therefore what? Keep the feast. Does it say let us therefore try not to sin? No. Let us therefore keep the feast. Now what happens is, And the bitter herbs, just real quick, represent repent and regret over the different sins and things that we've committed in the past. Many times under the Lord's light, we just have a deep repentance and and bitterness about the sin we've committed, right? Forgive me, Lord. I am so sorry. Does he want me to stay in that condition? (laughs) Eat more of the unleavened bread. Now, listen, leaven frustrates our enjoyment of Christ. So, if you had leaven, you got cut off from God's people, okay? So it's very serious. Sin is very serious, and we need to deal with it in order to stay in the enjoyment. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I've had times where I got involved in, you know, something sinful, and you know what happened to my enjoyment of Christ? Yeah, it went down, way down. And eventually, if you stay in that, you know what's going to happen to the enjoyment of Christ? Be nearly zero, Okay, 
You know what happens when you have zero enjoyment of Christ as one that has enjoyed Christ? You get very miserable, very unhappy, very hungry, very thirsty. So what eventually do you need to do? Purge out the old leaven. That's what you need to do. Purge out the leaven. Come back to the enjoyment of Christ. Anyway, that's the way the Lord trained me. You want to stay in that? Fine. No enjoyment. Eventually, I'm like, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm coming back. Purge out the old leaven. (laughs) So uh, thank the Lord for his training. Yeah. So we keep this feast our entire Christian life. We eat unleavened bread and purge out leaven. Okay, let's go on here now. The next piece of the puzzle here, or the, or the journey. Okay, they get out, and if you all know the story, they, it's an amazing story. If you've never read Exodus, you need to read it. They come up to the sea, and by this time, Pharaoh changes his mind again. I'm going to get him. I should have never let him go. What was I thinking? Even though he just had his firstborn die. He, is, he really represented the devil in vivid you know, color, <laughs> Pharaoh, because the devil does not want you to get out of the world. He doesn't want you to go. You know, as long, even, even you're a lamb eater, you're a lamb, you're a redeemed one. As long as you stay here, he's got you. As long as you, just please stay in Egypt. Don't go, don't go away. And this is exactly the way it is today. The devil, even though we're believers, he still can kind of put up with us. Okay, but the Lord, does that, when we're here, did we, saw, did we uh, fulfill the Lord's purpose? No. So the next miracle was absolutely phenomenal. And that is, they were backed up against the sea. Pharaoh is coming with his chariots, with his horsemen, and he is gonna round them all up, take them all back. Back to slavery, back to the, back to the, uh, back to the old salt mine, the pyramid, um, building your pyramid. And what happened? God told Moses to strike his staff on the sea, and the sea parted, and the children of Israel went through on dry land. It's an amazing miracle. Sea parted on both sides, and all of these people, you gotta imagine, two million people went through the sea together and came up on the other side, Meanwhile, Pharaoh and his chariots are in hot pursuit. Let's get them. Let's get them. They're almost done. You know, we, we almost got them. And the, fortunately, the Lord kind of confounded them a little bit. The wheels were falling off the chariots. They were having all kinds of technical difficulties. But <laughs> when the last one of the children of Israel got up on dry land, what happened to the sea? <laughs> Came back in. And guess who was in the middle of the sea? Pharaoh and all his army. <laughs> wow. God obliterated Pharaoh and his armies in one fell swoop. Just obliterated them. Okay, what does this signify in our experience? We know that this signifies, you know, receiving Christ as our Savior, you know, striking his blood, and then he comes into us as the lamb. Okay, we know that Egypt represents the world. But what is this deliverance right here, this escape in our experience? What is this? Baptism. You're right. And that verse that we read earlier says, you know, These things occurred as types, as examples. He says, all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Paul says that was a baptism. This was baptism. You cannot believe that God set this up from the foundation of the world, even geographically, to have a great big baptismal in Egypt, right next to Egypt. 
That Red Sea is a giant baptismal, and his people were all baptized. How many of his people were baptized? All of them. Okay. If you weren't, you were stuck over here, and I don't think any of them stayed. They all were baptized. So that's why today we are opening up the uh, opportunity for some of us to be baptized. I mean, especially if you've been redeemed, if you've received Christ as your lamb and as your food, your unleavened bread, it's time for you to get out. Get out of Egypt. Get out of the world. And what? Get on with the journey. This is our journey to the good land and to God's building for his glory. Your baptism is for God's glory. Your baptism is for God's building. And your baptism is to be with God's people. God's people aren't over here anymore. They're over here. So you need to get through that. You need to get through that baptism. So I hope many of us could get baptized today, cross the Red Sea in our experience, and get to the other side. And we're going to see some things that are on the other side here. It's marvelous on the other side. But just remember, when you're baptized, everything of the world goes down with you. And who comes up? You in Christ. The world stays down. Old man stays down. Former manner of life stays down. And you come up in resurrection. Baptism is wonderful. We get baptized into the triune God. Uh, we get baptized into Christ, according to Galatians 3.27. We get baptized into the death of Christ in Romans 6. And then finally what? We get baptized into the body of Christ. You want to be in the body of Christ? Be baptized. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So um, <clears throat> anyway, so this is a big, th big event. They got delivered. So I wish I could write words up here, but if we'd put right here, we'd put um, redemption. Then right here, we'd put deliverance. <clears throat> so sometimes people say, well, I got saved three weeks ago. What do they mean? What do most of the time they mean? They mean that they, most people mean that they, they received the blood and hopefully they got regenerated. That's what they mean. I got saved, what did you say? I got born again 20 years ago. <laughs> so they're referring to this experience. What's the next question you need to ask them? Have you been baptized? Okay, there's a verse in Mark that says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Now what, what is that talking about? Because I thought we got saved here. I got saved from God's judgment right here, right? I got saved from the judgment in my house by putting blood on my doorpost. I got saved. Saved from what? Saved from God's judgment. Am I going to hell? No. Don't need to worry about that. But guess what I'm not saved from yet? I'm not saved from the world. I'm not saved from the power of the enemy. I'm not saved from the modern-day Pharaoh <clears throat> with all of his power and influence. So when I get baptized, I get saved from that. So when Mark says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, he's referring to the whole thing. This plus this equals saved in, in that verse. Okay? That doesn't mean the people that just have been redeemed and regenerated aren't saved. They are. But let's be clear. What are they saved from? God's judgment. Hell. You know, lake of fire. Eternal perdition. <clears throat> but here we're saved. Much, this is a much greater salvation. And ultimately, listen, this entire journey is a picture of God's complete salvation. So I'd I mean, I really want to emphasize baptism, but I also have to let you know when you get baptized, are you at the end of the journey? No, no. you're just at the start of the journey. Or, I mean, you've made, a little, you've made a little progress, but you have more journeying to do. Keep your shoes on, your loins girded, and your staff in your hand. 
We're going all the way. And, you know, I was thinking last night, I was thinking, you know, when they got there along the way here, they, God's building, they, they took care of God's building. And eventually God himself, the creator, the one who called them, he came down to live on the earth. When they reached the goal, God's glory filled the house. God came down to the earth. You know what God wants to do today? He wants to come down to the earth. We want to bring the Lord back. You know what the way to bring the Lord back is? Let's get on with our journey. <laughs> Let's reach the goal. When we reach the goal, when enough people reach the goal, he's coming back. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, anyway, I just think about that last night. All right, uh, let's go on now. Christ is our spiritual food. And again, you guys got into that this morning. I hope you all really enjoyed uh, the manna. Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 3, all of us. You ready? All the same spiritual food. Okay, so what's he referring to? He was referring to what they experienced right here. See that manna? They got out there in the wilderness and they were hungry. All their Egyptian food that they'd maybe hid or, or, or packed up with them, it all ran out. And now we are hungry. Okay? And this is a big deal because, um, well, let's go ahead and read the Exodus verses. Christ is our manna, point A. How about we have the brothers on 16, 14 through 15. You ready, brothers? Go. Mm. And there's so many, so many details. You guys are going to get into them. I think y'all got into them a little bit this morning. At the back of your packet, there's a number of pages where you can read about the details uh, from heaven with the dew in the morning, round, small. And there's so many just different details, white, and each one of these has a significance in our experience. Now, the Lord Jesus, as the caption or the express word, what does he say? Let's look at the next verse, John 6, 48. Now, you got to understand, they were saying, they, okay, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people in this chapter. Okay, but then they come up to him saying, you know, Moses, um, he did, what, what kind of sign are you going to do? Moses, he fed our fathers in the wilderness. What are you going to do? with manna. He fed our fathers with manna in the wilderness. What are you going to do? He just fed 5,000 people. And they still, want to, they still want a sign. Okay, so what does the Lord tell them? He says, that was not the real bread from heaven, because they ate of it and they died. Then let's read verse uh, 48 here. I am the bread of life. It was in that context. They're, they're talking about manna. He's talking about manna. He says, that wasn't the real deal. You know what the real deal is? Me. I am the bread of life. Christ is my manna. Okay, let's all turn to our neighbor and say, Christ is my manna. You ready? All right. Now, say, Christ is your manna. All right, good. Now, again, um, in the next verse, he says, he who eats me. He who eats me. Well, again, how are we going to do that? Well, we have to go back to the picture book. We have to see what was the deal with manna. How did they eat manna? And that gives us the clues or the details how we can eat Christ as the real manna. Okay, and I'm going to read this verse for you. This is uh, Exodus 16, 4. 
And the Lord said, I will now rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my law. You know what law that is? That's the law of the manna. <laughs> they hadn't even got the Ten Commandments by that point. So he's not talking about that. He's talking about the law of the manna. Okay, now what is the law of the manna? The law of the manna is you've got to go out every day. You cannot keep a portion until tomorrow. You know, we like to keep a portion. Let me just go out and gather five days worth. <laughs> then I've got to worry about it for the next four days. But when they tried that, and they did try that, it bred worms and it stank. Didn't work. God wouldn't let them do that. You know why? God wants to train us to spend time with him every day. He wants to see you every morning. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Every day. And then um, the next point of the law of the manna is it's in the morning, early in the morning. When the sun waxed hot, it melted, right? And you had to collect it for yourself, okay? You, not, you couldn't, I couldn't get manna for you today, and then you get manna for me tomorrow. The Lord closed up all the loopholes. You've got to go out yourself and gather manna. So how many of us need to go out or have to go every morning to get Christ as our life supply? That's the picture. How many of us need to? Everyone. How many days? Every day. Right. And when can I go? Can I do it at lunch? Listen, you have to realize, and this, this is hard for us because we just, you know, we just don't understand why, why God you know, can't do things our way. But God has a way. Let's say that. God has a way. And he had a way with the matter of the blood and redemption. And Cain decided to take his own way. And what was the result of that? Okay, well, with the manna, God has a way. He has a way to supply his people. He has a way to give us life and life supply every day. You can come up with your own way. You know what's going to happen? <laughs> You're not going to get much. Oh, I'm going I'm to start up a new thing, evening manna. <laughs> That's not going to go very far. There's no manna in the evening, okay? Manna is in the morning. Okay, so let's go on here. Um, we'll read the last verse together, uh, John 6, 63. You ready? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words which I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. And I know you guys are going to cover this in your morning time. I mean, in your, yeah. But the main thing going on here, I want you all to be impressed. If you all get this chart and you realize this is a picture of God's complete salvation, I will be happy. I will have succeeded. So we got out. We're in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness. And what was the purpose of God supplying them with this manna every day? What was the purpose of this? When they came out, you have to realize, where's my Egyptian? Can you come over here? All right, thank you. Now, let me get, um, let's see Josiah there. Come on up, Josiah. So Josiah's gonna be one of the children of Israel. Now, you guys, y'all have been working. You might've been the taskmaster. You've got to crack your whip. Yeah, and you're the slave building the pyramid. But now I want you to consider, they've been there for 400 years. Is there really any difference between these two guys? I mean, if you were to line them up, they've been doing the same stuff probably, although he probably has more money. 
you know, he's obviously working harder. Um, but basically, intrinsically, essentially, what are they constituted with? They are constituted with the Egyptian diet. He's as Egyptian as he is in constitution. But he's one of God's chosen people. And he now has taken the way of redemption. Okay, what is that? What is the way? What has the blood done to his and the salvation in Egypt? What has that done to his constitution? Nothing. He's still the same constitutionally. Him and the Egyptian are still the same. Does God want a bunch of Egyptians? <laughs> he wants a heavenly people. He wants a peculiar people. He wants a people unto himself. Okay, thank you, brothers. Well, actually, let's stay up here for a second. So you can go back, back Egyptian. Yeah. So I'm, gonna, I'm God here in this thing. I want to change him. I want to totally transform him. How am I going to do that? By eating, by feeding. I'm going to feed him every day with this new diet. And you know what's going to happen? Slowly, the Egyptian element, the Egyptian food that he's been constituted with is going to change to a heavenly constitution. And that constitution is going to be Christ because Christ is the manna, right? Vince, you're going to be a manna man. How many, you know how long they were in the wilderness? 40 years. And they were eating, picture, in picture, they were eating Christ. They were eating manna for 40 years. By the time they went into the good land, they were no longer Egyptian in constitution. So they were being, this is even a further salvation. Think about it. Over here, we got saved from judgment. Here we got saved from the world and all of its power. What are we getting saved from here? We're getting saved from our former constitution. We're getting saved from what we were in Adam and what we were raised up in the world. We're getting a new element. Okay, thank you, brother. Decide. You know, I first came to a conference like this in 1983. Okay, that's 34 years. And I have been eating manna ever since. And I tell you, that first semester I met the brothers on campus, um, I, uh, I, had, I was already a believer. I was already, um, I was already over here. I, I guess I should use this one too, but I was over here. Um, but I started, this is kind of funny. I'm sorry, this is a funny story. I started having this dream. And... Um, I had it several times in a row. And I would, I would be excited. There's a door, and I wanted to go through this door. And all of a sudden, the dream would end, and I couldn't go through this door. Anyway, I was telling the brothers about this weird dream I was having. And again, I don't put much stock in dreams, okay? But this dream seemed kind of different. And eventually, the brothers said, well, have you heard about baptism? And I was like, no. Anyway, they showed me this picture about how I was in Egypt and how I needed to get out through the Red Sea by being baptized and you know what I said? Amen. <laughs> I got baptized. And I never had that dream again. <laughs> so again, that's kind of a funny story. But that's how the Lord led me to get the fellowship. And um, eventually through the fellowship, I got the light from the word. And I just said amen. Like the, uh, who was it that he got? Um, I think it was the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He, was, he got the word on the way to, uh, you know, out in the desert. And uh, Philip joined his chariot, preached the gospel to him from Isaiah. Eventually, the guy, the guy took the blood. He got redeemed. And then what did he do? He said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? He got baptized right then. He didn't spend any time. <laughs> got right out of there. 
That's the normal route. I took a circuitous route because I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't have the truth, I didn't have the word. But once it came, I said amen. Anyway, so for 34 years, I have been eating manna. And praise the Lord. The Lord is faithful to supply it every day. I haven't always been faithful to collect it, but he's faithful to supply it. And when I don't eat it, I go hungry. You know, if you don't get supplied, you know what happens to you during the day? You just deflate, right? You run out of energy. You run out of strength. Um, and I remember one time, I don't know if this is in that reading, Jose, but um, Louise, but the, uh, they had to grind it, bake it. No, grind it, beat it, and there was another one. Boil it. Okay. That, so manna, was, it was hard. You had to deal with it. You had to really, you know, get in there. Anyway, so our, we found out as we were studying that little detail that we get in the Word in the morning, but then in our daily life, so we enjoy the Lord in the morning as our manna, we collect. But then it's in our daily life, we have all these experiences that grind. They grind that manna, and they boil it, and they beat it. Okay. Well, what came out in that fellowship, I will never forget, is that if you don't have manna, and you go into that beating situation, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get beaten. And you go into that boiling situation with no manna, what's going to happen? Instead of the manna getting boiled, you get boiled. <laughs> Instead of, you know, and I never forgot that. And that has been exactly my experience. When I don't give, gather the manna, I am in for it. And I, I really kind of have a fear. Lord, I have got to get you this morning. Lord Jesus, give me some manna. Amen. Feed me, Lord Jesus. I don't want to go through this day without you. I need manna. So this vision, listen, this vision will change our living. It will get us up a little earlier. It'll get us up and realize the first thing I'm going to open my eyes. Should I look and see what happened on Facebook? Should I read my email? Should I check my chat? What should I do? Tell you what I do. Morning revival. <laughs> it's on my phone, but I, that, I'm, I'm not pressing any other buttons until we press that one. Because I, I need to get into the word and get the word into me before the sun waxes hot. Sun waxing hot is all those situations, all those anxieties, all the chaos of the day. Okay, um, anyway, there's a number of different points here. I know you guys are gonna be getting into that too. Practically enjoying the manna. And let's just go down that real quick. We'll go one through five. Uh, we'll just read the main points, you ready? In morning revival, through confession, through prayer, by calling on the Lord, and speaking and prophesying. So, I, you know, these are so good. Morning revival, we need to get up in the morning and have time with the Lord. Um, confession, when we go, there's light. We go to get the manna, the Lord shines on us. We just confess, and we get the manna. Uh, prayer, not just for ourselves, but for others. Man, you really eat a special portion of Christ when you pray for others. And then calling on the name of the Lord is a wonderful way to eat the manna. And speaking, prophesying. This is a really important one at this conference because you get a chance at this conference to eat by speaking. So don't just hold it in. You guys are taking in a lot, right? You're reading all these verses. You're getting in all these groups, having all this prayer. So what? You need to, you need to eat by speaking, <laughs> by prophesying. And I was, um, <clears throat> one of the brothers was sharing with us, our mouth is connected to our spirit. You know, there's verses that show us this. Our mouth is connected to our spirit. 
And again, you know, you can come up with another way. <laughs> Why? Why take a way that God didn't give us? Why not take God's way of opening your mouth? You know, in um, Psalm 116, uh, David says, what shall I give unto the Lord for all he's done for me? I'll take the cup of salvation and call. Got to open my mouth, right? So we need to open our mouth. And I wanted to give a story, just a real quick testimony. There was one time I was way in the back, back there by Tom and, uh, and Abram back there, okay? And I was sitting right next to brother and he was goofing off the whole meeting. There aren't, there aren't any of those back there, are there? No. Okay, goofing off the whole meeting. But something was said in the meeting, like we mentioned at the beginning, you know, where you take a little note, something touched you, a verse or whatever. Okay, there was something said about the devil being destroyed. The devil was destroyed. Okay, so I don't know why it was a miracle, but he got up to go to the microphone. Okay, he got up to go to the microphone. I was shocked because he's been goofing off the whole meeting. Okay, but anyway, he gets up. Now, you got to realize this guy grew up among us, he, um, I have never really seen any signs of life from him at all. Um, <laughs> he came to this microphone, and he said something to the effect, I don't remember the exact words, but he said, praise the Lord, the devil has been destroyed. Something like that. I mean, really, in a sense, it wasn't anything spectacular, but he released his spirit. He touched his spirit at the microphone. And when he came back to his chair, I don't think anybody else saw this, he was weeping. He could not stop weeping because he touched the living God. He touched the living God when he opened up his mouth. All those years before, I don't know what he was doing or what was going on there, but that was a breakthrough. That brother was never the same. Christ became real to him that day. And I hope some of us in this conference, Christ will become real to us. Amen. The one I heard about, the one we talked about, the one we prayed to, et cetera, et cetera. I touched him. Yeah. I can never be the same. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I'm running out of time here. Bad, bad management of my time. Um, but what I wanted to say is, I hope as young people, we would be poor in spirit and humble and just be willing to receive from the older ones. What do I mean by that? I mean receive in the sense of learning how to eat, learning how to release our spirit, learning how to call on the Lord. You know, when I was in the band, we had, I was a trumpet player, and uh, we had to learn to use our diaphragm. Okay, you're there in sixth grade or seventh grade, and you're like, <laughs> hardly making any noise at all. And they're like, use your diaphragm. And I'm like, What's my diaphragm? I would, no, well, from way down deep, you got to really, you know, blow. And uh, I didn't know how to do that. But eventually, by listening and by learning, eventually I was able to use my diaphragm to blow that trumpet and really make, a, really make a loud noise. Well, it's the same with our spirit. You know, we weren't born with a regenerated spirit. We weren't born knowing how to use our spirit. We weren't born, even born again, knowing how to eat, how to drink. How to enjoy Christ. So how can we learn? This, are we going to just reinvent the wheel? I'm going to figure out my own way. Why don't I learn from somebody that's ahead of me? Somebody that knows how to eat. And I was going to have just a couple brothers stand up here. And I, you know, Lord cover all of us here. But let's have Tom. You could stand up. Tom, little. 
Tom Wells, where's Tom Wells? Okay, stand up, Tom. Victor, stand up. <laughs> okay, these three brothers, and I'm not ashamed to say it, I've learned from them. Okay, Victor, that brother knows how to call on the Lord. He knows how to drink the Spirit. If you don't really know what we're talking about, just go spend a little time with Victor. <laughs> of course, there may be somebody else in your locality, but you know, there's somebody that when you get with them, you can drink the Spirit. Thank you, Victor. And then Tom, I mean, and Tom and I haven't spent a whole lot of time, lot of time together, but I've been with Tom in hospitality before, and I saw that brother pray read the Word. Oh, man. When I didn't even have to, he didn't even have to coach me or anything. I just saw him. He was chewing that word. Oh, Lord. You know, your word was found, and I did eat them. And he, you could just tell he was chewing on it. That has never left me, watching you pray read, brother. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I learned how to pray read. Thank you, Tom. And then uh, Tom, little. <laughs> Sorry, again, we're all under the blood here. But Tom knows how to release his spirit. Amen. He knows how to release Christ. And I tell you, when this brother shares, I get the river. The river flows to me. Do I want to be like that? Yes. I want to release Christ so I can learn from Brother Tom. Thank you, Tom. Anyway, all the saints. There's so many. We have so many gifts, and they're all around us. We can learn to call. I have brothers I know that I called with, brothers I pray read with. I don't know, Neil took me to my first meeting, and when on the way to the meeting, he had me pray read two verses. Job 32.8 and Proverbs 20.27. And we were on the way to the meeting, my very first meeting, love feast, and I was pray reading the word. You think I knew how to pray read at that point? Nope. But I was starting to learn, starting to learn. And I have learned from so many members of the body, been so helpful to me. Why reinvent the wheel? So I hope some of us would really have a breakthrough, whether it's in speaking, you know, calling, morning revival, pray reading. It's all these points in here. I hope we would realize this journey is corporate. Are you out here in the wilderness by yourself? We're journeying together. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Receive the riches of the body. Receive the help from all the saints. And this will help you on your journey. And eventually we'll, uh, we'll reach the goal. And I don't have time to talk about the drinking. Um, Christ is our spiritual drink. Tremendous point. Uh, because with eating, you need what? Drinking. And just real quick, um, you know, because just to tell you this, the end of the story, there was the rock in the wilderness. Well, okay, they were thirsty. They got thirsty after the manna. And there was a big rock outside. And Moses said, I mean, God said to Moses, go and strike that rock and water will come out to, get, to quench the thirst of all the people and all the cattle. So he did it. He went out, struck the rock, and the rock just cleft open, and water just poured out. What do you think that signifies, that rock? Christ. Christ on the cross as our rock, he was smitten by God, by the law of God, and that's what the rod signifies. Moses, the law, the rod is the authority. The authority of the law was used to smite Christ on the cross and outflowed blood and water. And that water is flowing today. He is flowing to us as the Spirit. And just related to this rock real quick, Deuteronomy 32, uh, 18 says, the rock who begot us. 2 Samuel 22 says, the rock of our salvation. Psalm 62 says, the rock of our strength. 
Psalm 94, he's the rock of refuge. And this is my favorite, Isaiah 32, 2. The shadow, Christ is the shadow of a massive rock in a wasted land. So good to be able to get under the shadow of a massive rock in a wasted land. So we have a wonderful rock. He's been smitten for us, and now we can receive him. He's actually following us around all the time. Just like the rock followed them, the rock is following us. And how does he follow us? Two ways. Let's just read points uh, 10A, okay, 10A, 1 and 2. You ready? Amen. As the Spirit and as the Word. He is following us and He's with us all the time. All you have to do is speak to the rock. Speak to the rock and get in the Word and the water will flow. Okay, I'm done. I hope you realize that God has a purpose. This is why you were redeemed. This is why you need to be baptized. This is why you need to eat the manna every morning. This is why you need to enjoy the Lord by calling on Him and speaking to Him. Stay hydrated. (laughs) <laughs> for God's purpose. And um, let's keep the feast. Now, uh, if you hopefully wrote down a little something, maybe you could now pray with your neighbor for about a minute um, over what you or he, she enjoyed. And then we're going to have some time for speaking. And it'll be y'all's turn to eat. <laughs>